Let's pray together. And we'll open up his word. I want to thank you again for this book of Hebrews and uh, what, what you've done in my heart and what I am hearing that you're doing in our hearts as a church family. Thank you so much. And Lord, I ask that once again you would come. I need your help, Lord. Uh, give me the right understanding and the right heart and the, the wisdom of of what you are saying in this passage. And Lord, I pray that you would do a powerful work to open our eyes to seeing more of who you are. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in thinking about the topic of the passage for this morning, I was I was thinking I was taken back to junior high days. When I was a junior higher, uh, the church youth leader who was leading our junior high group uh, he had come to the conclusion that because of various passages of Scripture and because of world events, he thought he knew that Jesus Christ was going to be coming back in a couple of years. That he was part of a group called Bachelors Till the Rapture. Okay? <laughs> He's not still a bachelor, but anyway. Uh, and so for a whole summer at least, this junior high group that I was a part of, we spent time studying these passages of Scripture and studying world events. And I mean, imagine all these junior high kids thinking, we're going to have to go through high school, you know? We're going to be out of here. Okay? It was an amazing... Summer, but of course it didn't happen quite that way. And if you study church history, you'll see that there's many times in church history where groups of believers have started to think, we can see in the Bible, we can see from world events, we think we know when Jesus is coming back, he's going to come back in a year or two, or they'll set dates or whatever. But see, Jesus was very clear on that topic. Yes, I'm coming back. Yes, I'm coming back and I'm going to bring history to a close. But none of you will know when. Only the Father knows when. He's very clear on that. And so the fact that he was so clear that we wouldn't know when shows that our focus should not be on figuring out when. Our focus should be on preparing our hearts so that we're ready whenever he comes. Jesus Christ could come back this afternoon or a hundred years from now. The point is not when. The point is, are you ready? Just like Chuck. Did you know what our topic was this morning? What a powerful thing that God would have you share that from Malachi. Isn't that beautiful how the Lord works? Thank you, brother. Be ready. It's like Chuck shared. God gave him a spiritual gift to share that this morning. And the reason I mention that is because our passage for this morning has as its main point, be ready for Jesus' return. So let's turn. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. Now, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Thanks, men. Um, we want everybody to have a Bible that you can look on with. We are passionate about studying God's Word here at Mercy Hill Church. And so we want you to have a Bible open in front of you. These, The words in the Bible are the most important words you're going to hear or see this morning. So, And in the Bibles we passed out, Hebrews 12 is on page 1009. So what will Jesus return mean? How can we be ready? Now the answer is in verses 25 through 29, but before I read these verses... Quick background. We've got to bring something in from the previous passage from last week. In verses 18 through 21, we won't read them now, but we saw this last week, the author tells us about a time in, in Israel's history when God wanted to show the people of Israel what it would be like 
to stand as sinful people. We're all sinful people. So for them to experience, what would it be like to be a sinful people standing before a perfectly holy and righteous God? And so he, he had them come to the very foot of Mount Sinai. Don't go any closer. And then he came down. And Mount Sinai was shaking. And there was darkness and there was fire. And he warned, you must not think of coming to me without a mediator, without a savior, without a way to be forgiven of of sins. And so he wanted to, to rock them with how crucial it was to have a mediator, to have a savior who was going to be Jesus Christ. So that's the background for what the author is going to say now in verse 25, 229. Look at what he says. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they, Israel, did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, what happened at Mount Sinai, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, all of creation. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Powerful passage. Now notice verse 25, he says, Do not refuse him who is speaking. So we must not refuse what God is saying to us now. So what is God speaking to us now? Let's start with that first question to unpack this passage. On Mount Sinai, he warned them from earth. Now he's warning us from heaven. So what is he saying to us now from heaven? It's right there in verse 26. Read it again. At that time, his voice shook the earth, Mount Sinai, but now he has promised. And here he quotes from the Old Testament prophet Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6. So now he has promised Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So here's what God's doing. He's warning us in the future. He will shake the heavens and the earth. In the future, he's going to shake the the heavens. Think of what that would mean to have the, the heavens be shaken. We're talking about the sun falling, stars falling. We're talking about Venus being shaken, the Milky Way. We're talking about God shaking the heavens. That's what he's going to do. And he's going to shake the earth. I mean, imagine, here's a globe, and God's shaking it. How many of you remember the Loma Prieta earthquake in 1989? Okay, I was working in real estate at the time. I remember heading out there, everybody else, out to the parking lot. That is nothing compared to what will happen when God shakes the earth. And so God is warning us that time is going to come in the future when he's going to shake the heavens and shake the earth. Now, what does that mean? I mean, so we're all, what's the point of the shaking? Look at verse 27. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. The removal of things. 
That is, things that have been made. He's talking about all creation here. The removal of things that are shaken, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So when God shakes the heavens and the earth, he's removing everything that can be removed, everything that can be shaken, removed and gone. So he's shaking the heavens and the earth, he's removing everything, so what will be left? What's left? First part of verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So when God shakes the heavens and the earth, everything else will be removed except for the kingdom. And and what is that kingdom? We saw in verses 22 to 24 last week. I would encourage you to read those verses again maybe this afternoon. What is the kingdom that cannot be shaken? It's Jesus Christ, our mediator, through whose death we stand completely forgiven before a holy and righteous God, and he is not thundering at us, he is smiling at us, saying, come on up, okay? Because of Jesus. So it's Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. It's that we can enjoy the very presence of God being in the city of the living God, now by the Holy Spirit and forever in heaven. And remember we talked about tens of thousands of angels celebrating our salvation in the passage from last week? So this is the unshakable kingdom. He describes it in more detail in verses 22 through 24. So when God shakes the heavens and the earth, all that will be left is the kingdom of God and those who have received his kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. When he shakes the heavens and the earth, everything else is going away except the kingdom of God and those who have received his kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Those who have not received his kingdom will be taken away to judgment forever. Everything else in creation will be gone, except for his kingdom and those who've received his kingdom through faith. Now, this does not mean there will be no heavens and no earth. Okay, What God does is he removes the present heavens and the earth and he replaces them with the new heavens and the new earth of his kingdom. New heavens, new earth. So just think about this. I was just went out last night. I saw stars and I saw a little sliver of moon last night. All gone. And this earth, this earth, Amanam and Mount Whitney and Pleasure Point and Death Valley and Europe, gone. And a new heaven and a new earth of God's kingdom. That's what's going to happen in our future. Now if you stop and think about this, this is huge. This is where world history is going. You know where history is headed. Now, God has told us. This is the direction. This means that everything around us, the world as we know it, will one day be gone. It's gone. And replaced by the new heavens and the new earth of the kingdom of God. And the way we live now will increase our joy in the kingdom of God forever. So see, this reality of, of, of where the future's going, of the new heavens and the new earth, of the kingdom of God, with all the redeemed and the presence of God through Jesus, the, the hope of that and the reality of that, that is the, the power of our Christian lives. That's the fuel that impels us. That's why we tell people about Jesus, because we know this is where the future's going. Everyone's either going to be taken away to judgment or part of the kingdom. Everyone, everyone here, all of you, 
are either going to be taken away to judgment or you're going to be part of God's kingdom because you've received it through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we see the reality, this is where history's going. It fuels us to love our neighbors and to tell people about the Lord Jesus. This is what gives us power to conquer, to conquer sin. Heaven is reality. The new heavens and the new earth. I'm not going to dissipate my energies here. and I want to go for God because we see where history is going. This is what empowers us to love our enemies. This is what sets us free from the love of money. Money, it's going bye-bye. Use it here for eternal reasons, but don't sink your life into it. It's going. He's not going. He's coming. And we're going to be with him. So let this truth free you from love of money. Let this truth break your heart for reaching unreached people groups. This is the fuel of the Christian life. This transforms how we live. At the end of history, God's going to shake the heavens and shake the earth and remove everything and replace it with new heavens and the new earth of God's kingdom and those who've received his kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. I'm praying that this morning that truth will crush temptations you're feeling right now. So why would I want to bother with that? Look at what's coming. I'm praying that it will overcome any lukewarmness that's in us this morning. Wait a minute. This is real? I'm going to get on the stick here. Let's get going. Absolutely. Let this stir you up. Let this crush apathy. Let this empower you to endure trials. I'm sure some of you are in are in deep waters of trials, heartbreaking trials. You may have come here this morning thinking, this is the last thing I can do. I'm just going to go, see what happens. Hope in God. This is where you are headed, through faith in Jesus Christ. This will enable you to, to endure trials, to conquer trials, to persevere through trials. This is life-changing truth. Now, as I thought about it at this point, I was thinking, okay, so... We've got these verses here in Hebrews 12. I think we need to look at a couple of other passages just to let the Holy Spirit kind of marinate our hearts in this truth. You know how it's good to marinate meat? Uh, what's your favorite marinade? Okay, so it's just because it tenderizes the meat and it makes it really good. And so our hearts need to be marinated in this truth a little bit more. So here's three passages to show you where else this is taught in God's word. And the first is in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. So go ahead and turn there. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13. If in the Bibles we passed out, that's page 1019. Just 10 pages to the right. And look at what Peter writes. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. No one will know when it's coming. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, 
we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Powerful passage. So the earth and all its works will be dissolved and all that will last will be the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, which is another name for the kingdom of God, the unshakable kingdom. Marinate. Just let, let your soul marinate in that truth. Second verse, second passage. Look at Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. Revelation 6, 12 through 17, page 1031. Again, more pages to the right. Last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, shaking, okay, the heavens and the earth, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. Sky's gone. Imagine that. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves. These are those who have not received the kingdom through faith in Christ, okay? They hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, who can stand? Do you feel the, the, the terror of that moment? At the end of history, this verse is saying God the Father and Jesus the Lamb will pour out their wrath upon, upon the, the sinful earth and the whole universe will be changed by this outpouring. And all who've not received God's kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ will be absolutely terrified because of the wrath that they know, deep down inside they know it's coming. And they'll try to hide, but to no avail. There's no hiding from God. Lord, marinate our hearts right now in these passages. This is reality. Help us to see it and to feel it, Lord. Just let this soak your heart. One more passage. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. This is page 1041 to the right. Ten pages. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Verse 1, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Let's get some good news in here, okay? New heaven, new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. It's a figure of speech for God's people. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, with us. 
God, the creator of the universe, all-powerful, sovereign, loving, gracious, compassionate, reveal himself in Jesus, he will be dwelling with us. The God of the universe dwelling with us. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Oh, Lord, see, your heart was made for this. This is the joy your heart was made to love and delight in. All the other joys out there, counterfeits. This is reality. Knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ and through faith in Christ and receiving his unshakable kingdom, God will be with us. You will know him face to face in the person of Jesus. And then get this last verse, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Some of you have wept this last week over wayward children, over husbands who've walked away, over doctor's reports, over people at work who have ostracized you because of your love for Christ, over disappointments. God is massively big, but he's not so big that he can't come and wipe those tears from your eye. This is our God. No being bigger, no being more tender and caring. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So here's three more passages. This is where history is going. You will experience this. As certainly as you're sitting in that chair, you will experience this. You will be there. This will happen. Whether you die first or whether you're here when Jesus comes back, you will experience this. This is the most important event for you to take into account. More important than the possible promotion. More important than the possible raise coming up. More important than 49ers playing this afternoon, certainly. You know, more important than anything else. This is the future event you must see. This is reality. This is where history is headed. Am I ready? Am I ready? That's the the burden of the author of Hebrews. Let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 12. That's why he writes these words. So Hebrews 12, that's page 1009. And he gives us three ways to get ready. But before we look at those, I just want to make sure, see if we have any questions. Because if there's a lingering question like, that's in the way, then that might keep you from really getting these three ways he tells us to get ready. So what are some questions? I want to make sure that, are we clear? Any, anything like, is that what this is saying? Or what does that mean about this? I'm not sure I can answer all your questions, but maybe somebody here can, or, or at least we'll be able to all admit we don't know the answer to that one. But let, let's get some questions out on the table. What are some questions about this, just as we've been talking, that have been kind of stirred up? That's a really good question because there are places, there's passages which talk about soon, there's passages which talk about long, like the king goes away for a long time. And let me see if I can remember what I've heard about that. The word can also mean near. And the word I heard, it's like God's, here's the door to earth and God's here and his hand is, it's right on, on the knob. That is, it could be right now. He's that near. He may wait another year or a hundred but it's, it's that near. So it's the same kind of idea.
So people who say, well, you know, death just means nothing. Death means I'm just out of existence. And, and um, what we would say with tenderness and love is that that's not true. It's not. That, how can we convince them? Well, we pray, first of all. Um, we show them what the Bible teaches. We can show them that Jesus, who came in history and worked miracles, said that we would live forever, either in heaven or in hell. So we would bring as many reasons as we could to help them and pray um, and then ask God to work and see if their hearts change. I think deep down inside, we all we all know death is the enemy. Death is, I mean, we can say it's the end and, and I'll just be unconscious, but I think deep down inside, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think maybe deep down inside everybody really does know. But you know what the truth is. So they need to know if they don't. So that's a good question. Well, we haven't asked that one because we don't, we don't know when is the answer to that one. And Jesus was very clear that none of us will know when. But he could come at any time. Okay? All right, now. Um, how should we prepare our hearts? How should we respond to this? How can we get ready? And, and the author gives us three commands. The first one's in verse 25. Don't refuse him who is speaking. Oh, this is powerful. Read verse 25 again. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they, Israel, did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, okay, that's Old Testament on Mount Sinai, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And that's in verse 26 and 27. He's warning us from heaven right now through the words of Haggai. He's saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth and remove everything except for my kingdom and those who've received my kingdom through faith in Christ. So God is warning us. God is warning us. And I want you to see in this how much God loves you, that he's warning you. He cares about you. He loves you. He has compassion for you. He had you come into this place this morning because he wanted you to hear his warning to you. So so don't refuse him who is speaking. Don't reject him who warns from heaven. He wants you to understand everything. Everything depends on you receiving his kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Everything depends upon that. Are you trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord and as your all-satisfying treasure? Are you trusting him? It's faith alone in Christ alone. That's what faith is. If you, if you are trusting him, then you've received the kingdom, the unshakable kingdom. It's yours. If you haven't, then you have not. And he's here right now in the scripture speaking to us, warning you because he loves you. He loves you. Have you received the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ? Now you might say, do you really think I'm going to believe something like that is going to happen? I mean, year after year, sun comes up, sun goes down, right? Milky Way's there, sun, you know, mountain streams, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. Do you really believe something like this is going to happen? Why would I want to believe that? We love questions here at Mercy Hill Church, and God loves questions, and God does not tell you to believe for no reason. God calls you to believe because of reasons. And there's a bunch of them. Let me just throw out one for you to think about. 
One reason you should believe this is because in this book, there are dozens of times when hundreds or thousands of years earlier, God prophesied something that would happen. And then hundreds and thousands of years later, it happened. Dozens of illustrations like that in this book. So, for example, in this book, we have a book called Micah, Old Testament prophet, written 700 B.C., it's in this book, historical document, named, named Micah, written, named after Micah, who, who wrote it, written in 700 B.C. And God told Micah, write down in your book that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. God told Micah, write that down, that I, God, am saying the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. 700 B.C. Right, we, got, we got the, 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 it's right here, 700 B.C. Okay, that's what it was written. So 700 years later, what happened? There's a problem. Mary and Joseph, they lived up in north in Galilee, in Nazareth. Bethlehem's like, what, 50, 60 miles south. How's he going to be born down there? Herod wanted some more tax money. Herod had a census be taken, so everybody had to go to their hometown and register with the IRS. Okay, so Mary and Joseph had to travel down to the place of Joseph's birth, which was Bethlehem. It got there right at the time when Mary was ready to give birth, and she gave birth, and so where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. And there's dozens of illustrations like that, where God says, here's what's going to happen, and then 700 years later, it happens. Reasons to believe that there's a God, reasons to believe that this Bible is the Word of God, reasons to say, if there's a God who's created everything, this could, I mean, would God have any trouble doing this? How could everything like be changed? And well, just like everything came, God God spoke, and here was the world. God spoke, and here's the universe. And God spoke, and everything's shaking and changing. He can do it like with with both hands tied behind his back. Okay, we're talking about God here. So I just want you to consider that the reason we believe these things is not because we've decided. Well, there's no reason we're just going to believe it. It's because there's reasons. Ponder the reasons. So don't refuse him who is speaking to you this morning. Don't refuse him. Don't refuse him. He's here warning you. Right now, right now, turn from whatever you've been trusting to secure you, whatever you've been trusting to satisfy you, and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, died to pay for your sins, as your Lord, whose will is the perfect call on your life and as your all-satisfying treasure, knowing him, just like the verse that Phil started us off with today, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, he will fill your heart infinitely more than anything else will. Don't refuse him with speaking. Right now, trust him. Right now, turn and trust him. Second way to get ready. Verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be grateful. So through faith in Jesus Christ, you've received this kingdom that cannot be shaken. Oh, be grateful for this. When God shakes the heavens, you'll be there, you'll see it. When God shakes the earth, you'll be there, you'll see that. When everything else is shaking, you will not be shaking. Because you have the unshakable kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. You won't be shaking. Peace, joy, 
Your redemption draws nigh. You won't be shaking, even though, left to ourselves because of our sin, we all deserve to be taken away to punishment. But Jesus died to pay for our sins, and God has made a way for us to be forgiven through his son, Jesus Christ, and God has brought us into the unshakable kingdom, and we should be thankful. Now, being grateful for that isn't easy, not because it's not amazing, but because we get distracted by, you know, there's kids and there's laundry and there's budgets and there's work and there's flat tires and there's sickness and there's doctor appointments, right? And we're just like, I mean, have we been grateful this past week for the fact that we have the unshakable kingdom? We need to grow in this church. So what I would encourage you to do is to take time, like with this passage, these other three that I've mentioned, other passages you know of, and take time regularly just to put everything else aside and marinate your soul in these truths until you see, oh God, Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, what you have done for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's what he's calling us to do. Be grateful for receiving a kingdom. And then third, verses 28 and 29, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Just let this enlarge your picture of who God is. God is so powerful he's going to shake the heavens and shake the earth and and it will be gone. This earth, gone. The universe, as we know it, gone. God's that big. He's a consuming fire. So he's massively big, but not just is he massively big. Look at what he's done so that we could be forgiven and have this unshakable kingdom. And so as we stir gratefulness, that's the second way to get ready, what will flow out is worship. Worship of God. That's what will flow. Now, worship is simply declaring the, the worth-ship of something. So see who God is and declare his worth, his worth in Jesus Christ by the way we live, by the way we talk. So let's be people who everywhere we go, we're displaying the, the worth-ship of God. We gather here to worship. Phil leads us. We're declaring his worth. Home groups, we're gathering to build each other up in faith. It's a declaration of his worth, the fact that we gather. You taking time to pray on your own during the day. You're taking time to open up the scriptures and meditate on God's word. You're declaring his worthship. You're saying no to greed or to lust or to, or to gossip or to sin. You're declaring his worthship. You're sharing the gospel with people at your workplace in your neighborhood. You're declaring his worthship. You're giving your money to care for the poor, to advance the gospel, to advance the ministry. You're declaring his worthship. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God is the point of the whole universe. Everything that's here is for God. That's why he's going to consume and take everything away so that all that's left is his kingdom through Christ and those who have received his kingdom because he in Christ will be at the center of it. So live that now. Do you love him? Are you trusting him? Are you seeking him? Do you delight in him? Are you satisfied in him? Are you fighting against things that are taking you away from him? Worship him. That's what he's calling us to do. So don't reject the warning. Receive Christ and his kingdom now by faith alone. Don't reject his warning. 
Be grateful then for the unshakable kingdom that we have and let's live lives of worship where everywhere we go, God's worth in Christ is being seen and displayed. Now let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Jerry, Ship, is your home group praying for people this morning? Okay, Ship's home group, why don't you guys come on up, Blossom Valley home group. And I just want to pray, Lord, I ask that you would take these truths and right now by the power of your spirit, I pray, Lord, that you would bring people to faith in Christ right now, right here, right now, turning and trusting Jesus and saying, yes, I need you, Savior. I, I want to submit to you, Lord. I'm going to seek you, treasure. God, do that in people's hearts right now. I pray that nobody here would resist or reject you who in love are warning from heaven. Please, Lord, save people right now. People here who maybe have drifted, who feel like they have fallen away, who are not walking with you, Lord, right now, let them hear your warning. Now, please, nothing is worth risking this. Please, Lord, help them feel that. God, I pray that you'd be stirring up gratitude as we see that we will not be shaken on that day because we have Christ and his kingdom forever. And then, Lord, we want to live lives of worship, displaying your worth-ship in our hearts, in our conversations, pointing people to you, loving people for your sake. Stir this in us, God, I pray. Dozens of ways this can impact us. Just work in our hearts, Lord, in the ways that we each need to work right now, I pray. In Jesus' name.